leadership. To that I say amen. Revelation chapter number 3. You may say he's preaching out of Revelation a lot, isn't he? <laughs> but Revelation chapter number 3 this morning. I have to say it's good to be back with you again. And I do ask you to pray for me this coming week and the three weeks following as I'll be uh, beginning shutdown at work and working about three weeks straight without a, with maybe two days off, maybe, hopefully. So uh, be tired, but you know what? God's still good. Amen. And uh, as Jim said also, uh, pray for the Bristol Revival getting started tomorrow night. We had a wonderful time yesterday under the tent. Brother Daniel Buchanan, if you've never heard him, I encourage you to look him up on YouTube or somewhere and hear him preach. He was absolutely awesome. And God really met with us yesterday under the tent, and I'm excited about what God's going to do. And I do believe that if there's ever a time that we need revival, it is right now. I do believe that with all of my heart, that we need revival. But we also, you know, revival begins in the church. But you know where all the sinners come into play is it starts right here. It starts in the church. Then the sinners start getting compelled to come to Christ once the church gets right with God. And I believe that, if, that our churches do need to get right with God. And that ought to be our prayer for the Bristol Revival is that it won't just last for two weeks, but that it'll go on beyond the two weeks. And even after the tents took down, that it'll make a lasting impact in this area because we certainly need it, don't we? Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 20. The Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we come to you and we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the songs that we've sung today. And God, I have to say, what a day that will be when we see you face to face. And God, I thank you today that I will get to see you face to face one day. And Father, I pray now as we open the word of God, Lord, I pray that you would get me completely out of the way. God, that you would have your will and your way in this time. Lord, I pray that the words that would proceed out of my mouth would not be the words I want to say, but God, that they would be the words you want to say. And Father, I pray that you would just fill me with the Holy Spirit of God and anoint me like you've never anointed me before. God, I so need it desperately, and I can't do it without you. And Lord, I pray for that one that's here lost, maybe here lost today. Lord, that they wouldn't leave here that way, but God, that you would convict and save to the uttermost today. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for loving us, for it's in Jesus' name we do pray, and amen. So here in Revelation chapter 3, we find, and in, 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 in chapter 2 also, we find that Jesus is speaking to the seven churches. Now, as we read these two chapters, and we see what he's telling these churches, we find that Jesus commended some of the churches for their works. 
Because they were serving God faithfully, because they were living for God faithfully, because they were fulfilling the Great Commission and they were reaching their generation and reaching their area for the God, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we also find that he rebuked some of these churches. You might say, why would he rebuke the churches? Because they weren't doing what they should have been doing. Because maybe they were cold and indifferent on God. Maybe they would err from the truth in, in, in ways and they had turned, and turned unto false teachings. Maybe it was that. But he did rebuke some of these churches for the things that they had done. But we find here in chapter 3, we, we see the church of Sardis, the church of Philadelphia, and the church of Laodicea mentioned. And as we study these churches, we find that Sardis was a church that was on life support. They were a church that was on life support. They were, they were a church that were on the brink of being dead. They were a church that was on the very edge of being totally dead and dried out on God. We find the church at Philadelphia was a church that had a little strength. Maybe they had been beaten and tattered by, the, by, by life or by different things in life circumstances. But we do find that Jesus tells the church at Philadelphia, yet they kept his word and never denied his name. That even though they were beaten and battered and they just had a little bit of strength, that Philadelphia, that the church at Philadelphia still served God faithfully. They still kept his word and they never did deny his name. But we also see the church at Laodicea. And that was a church that was totally dead. Totally dead with no life. Can I say that's a very sad state to be in? A church that is totally dead. But we find that even though these churches are very different, the message is still the same to all seven churches. Verse 22. He that hath an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit saith unto the churches. Can I tell you that the message to the church today is the same as it was to the churches in, the, in, the, in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter number 3. And the message is simple and it's this. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Can I tell you that's where a lot of our problem lies in churches today is they've turned their ear from the Spirit of God and, they started to, and they've learned how to have church. They've programmed God right out of the service and they've turned their backs on God and told the Holy Ghost, we don't want you here. Can I tell you that's the reason our world is in the shape that it's in today? You might say it's the president's fault. No, honey, it ain't the president's fault. It's the church's fault for not being right with God. Can I tell you that the reason America is in the shape that it's in is because we have failed and neglected to stand for the Word of God. And we failed and neglected to stand for what's right and the truths and the Word of God. But rather what, what, the, what we see happening in this day and hour is we see that man has decided that he knows what to do. And he's told God, I know what I'm doing. And I don't need your help. And that's exactly what Laodicea did. But he sums up the message to the churches in verse number 20. 
He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. And, I, and oftentimes we hear this verse mentioned as far as lost people, that Jesus is standing at the door knocking. And certainly it does apply to those that aren't saved. But can I tell you that this verse applies very much to the church as much as it does to the sinner. You might say, why would he be standing at the door and knocking at the church? Because he wants to see if they will let him in. That he's knocking on the doors of the churches because he wants to fill them up again. He's knocking on the doors because he wants to bless the church. He's knocking on the door because he wants to do a work in them and a work through them. He's knocking on their door because he wants to use them in a great and a mighty way for the cause of Christ. And he's knocking on the doors of the church because he wants to revive the church. And he's knocking on the doors of the church. But the question is not, is Jesus knocking? The question is this, will we open the door? That's the question. Can I tell you that if we do not open the door, we will never see revival if we do not open the door. We will never see sinners saved in, in the house of God if we do not open the door and let God come in and do what God wants to do. We will never see the church grow unless we let God come in and grow the church the way that He wants to grow the church. But Jesus is standing and He's knocking. But the question is, will we let Him in? And I thank God that even in a dry and dead hour in which we live, that Jesus is still knocking on the church's doors. Amen. I'm glad that in a dry and religious hour where God is not, where God is mocked and the Bible is mocked and they're trying to whittle away at it, that Jesus is still knocking on the doors of the house of God. And he wants to revive the church. And he wants to, and he wants to do a work in the church like he's never done before. But notice what the Bible says here. And as we look at these churches in relation to the day and hour in which we live. I believe it's safe to say that we are very much living in the Laodicean church age. I believe that with all of my heart that in the day and hour in which we live that we see more churches in the Laodicean age than we do any other. Dead, dried up, starched out on God. But notice what the Bible says about the Laodicean church age. In verse number 14 through 19. He says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am, in, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. Notice what the Bible says about the Laodicean church is that they were a lukewarm church. 
You might say, what's the danger in being lukewarm? Notice what Jesus said. He said, I wish, in other words, in, in paraphrasing, I wish that you were hot. And if you weren't hot, I wish that you were cold. You might say, why would he say that? Because if they were cold, they would know what they needed to get hot again. They, they would know that something was missing that only God could feel in the house of God again if they were cold. They would know that there was a problem. But notice that they were lukewarm. You ever had lukewarm coffee before? Can I tell you that's one of the worst things in this world is lukewarm coffee. I know it works sometimes. I'll be sitting there and I'll have a cup of coffee on the console with me. And I'll take a drink of that coffee thinking it's still hot and it's just, it's just old lukewarm, kind of cold, kind of hot coffee. And it don't taste good. It's nasty. You ever tried to drink it? I can't drink it. It's nasty. It just don't taste good. It's kind of like drinking lukewarm soda. You can't drink lukewarm soda. It's nasty. I can't drink it. All you want to do is spew it out of your mouth because it don't taste very good. And that's the way that this church is. In Laodicea. They weren't hot. They weren't cold. But they were right in the middle. They were lukewarm. And I believe the reason Jesus said, I wish you were cold and I wish, or I wish you were hot, was because that when you're lukewarm, you get comfortable right where you are. That when you're lukewarm, you feel like that you're right where you're supposed to be. But you're not hot, you're not on fire for God, and you're not cold, you're not, you're not indifferent on God, but you're in the middle, and you're lukewarm, and, and, and you feel like everything's going good, and, and, and you're doing what God wants you to do, and it's hard to convince somebody that is lukewarm that they've got to get closer to God, because they think that they're doing okay. But notice what else that he says about the church at Laodicea. Not only does he say that they're lukewarm, he says that they are rich and increased with goods. They say, listen, God, we're rich. We've got money. We've got goods. We've got all this stuff. They were proud people. Look what I've got. Look what I've got, God. Look at, what, look at the money that we've got. We've got all these goods. And you know what they did? We don't need God because we've got all this stuff. God, we don't need you because we've got all this stuff. We've got nice air-conditioned buildings. We've got nice padded pews. We've got everything we need. God, we don't need you. That's what they were saying. But Jesus brings them back down to earth. He says, but you don't realize that without me, you are blind and miserable and poor and naked. In other words, he's saying you wouldn't have a thing if it wasn't for me. Can I tell you that the church would not even be here had it not been for Jesus, amen? We would all be lost had it not been for Jesus. We wouldn't have air-conditioned buildings. We wouldn't, have any, we wouldn't even have any, anybody to worship had it not been for Jesus. But it's because of what he's done, Jim, that we're able to be in the house of God this morning with a smile on our face and joy down in our hearts, ready to worship God because Jesus did what we could not do for ourselves. But this church, they were a dead church. 
A church with no power, no spirit, no conviction, and, and most importantly, no conversions. A church that is totally out of tune with God. Totally out of tune with God. And even though they were a dead church, we see the goodness of God in the very fact that he was standing at the door of the Laodicean church knocking, wanting to revive them again. Can I tell you that in the dead church age in which we live, Jesus is still standing at the door and he's still knocking because he knows that revival does not come from a man and it does not come from a preacher and it does not come from a tent or it does not come from anything other than God himself. And he's able to send revival. I've heard people say God can't do it here. I'm here to tell you, God can do it here again. God can send revival. And it don't have to start up at the tent in Bristol. It can start right here at Cedar Grove Baptist Church. Revival can begin right here in the house of God. You know why? Because Jesus is standing and he's knocking at the door of the church. But the question is, will we let him in? Will we let him do the work? That he wants to do. God can send revival. And believe me. I know the world's in bad shape. I know that it's wicked outside these four walls. I know that the world's in turmoil. I know what's going on out there. But I also know how good God is. And I also know how powerful God is. And I also know that revival comes. When God's people get a hunger. And God's people get a thirst. For the word of God. I know that revival can be obtained. Because God has not changed. Even though the world is changing. And times are changing. God never changes. Book of Hebrews chapter 13 says. Jesus Christ. It doesn't say different. But it says he's the same yesterday. And he's the same right now. And he's the same forever. Because Jesus never changes. And if he never changes. I know that revival can be obtained. 2016. I took a trip down to North Carolina. Because God was doing something. Like I'd never seen before. And my mom and my grandma can attest, they went with me. We went to a place I had never even heard of before. Burlington, North Carolina. Never even heard of it. But God was doing something. For 15 years, New Hope Baptist Church and Pastor Randy Hobbs had been praying for revival. In their town for 15 years. Every Monday night. For 15 years. That church would gather. And they would beg God. To do something. In their town. Brother Randy Hobbs had scheduled a revival. That was just supposed to be three nights. And it would be over. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Well, I guess four nights. Wednesday. Four night revival. Brother C.T. Townsend went down to Burlington, North Carolina. 
just to do what he does every week of his life and preach revival meetings. Little did they know what God was fixing to do in the little town of Burlington, North Carolina. Started out in the church building for two weeks. The church was so packed that they were sitting out in the vestibule, sitting chairs out because it was so packed. And God moved in a mighty way those first two weeks and saw, I'd say, probably 150 people saved in two weeks. And God's people listening to the stories from Brother Hobbs as I went down there, that there was people in New Hope Baptist Church that were getting up on this end and going all the way to that end because they had ill awed against somebody on the other side of the church and they had to go get right with that person on the other side of the church because God was convicting them and saying you need to get rid of that guilt you need to get rid of that ought between you and your brother or you and your sister and you need to go get things right with them they were getting up from one side going to the other hugging necks and saying I'm sorry for having all this guilt and animosity between us God began moving the next thing you know it outgrew the church and for ten weeks we're under the old gospel tent that Brother Ralph Sexton had used for years in Burlington, North Carolina. My mom and my grandma and I went down for youth night. We went to hear a good preacher, Brother Kenny Baldwin, one of my favorites. And I'm going to tell you all something. God was so great in that place that as soon as my wheels touched the property up there, you could feel God all over that property as soon as the wheels touched down there on the property you could feel the presence of God like I had never felt it in my life I saw teenagers get up and run laps around the tent because the Holy Ghost got a hold of them in such a way I heard the Rochester sing the same song ten times and Floods of people coming to the altar having to get saved. Brother Kenny Baldwin preached up about an hour and a half, and it was like he preached for 30 minutes. And I'm not kidding y'all, it was like that pulpit up there was glowing because there was so much God on Brother Kenny Baldwin. And over a hundred kids got saved that night in Burlington. I felt like God wanted me to go back. So I went back Monday through Wednesday night. And I, I, I can't even describe to you what God did in my heart those, four, those three nights. Can I tell you, I never look at church the same way again. Because I know what God can do if we will get hungry and thirsty after the things of God. Jesus said it very well in Matthew chapter number 5. He said, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Why? For they shall be filled. You say, can God do it? I'm here to tell you, God can do it. I've seen God do it. And I know He can do it right here. I know He can do it in Bristol. But more importantly, I know that He can do it right here in this church.
Because he's still the same God as he was in Burlington. He's the same God as he was in 1952 when he sent the big revival at Pleasant View Baptist Church. He's the same God now as he was then. He's the same God now as he was when Elijah called the fire down upon Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal all surrendered their will and said there is no God but the Lord. He's the same God. And I know that he can still send the fire. I know he can still send the rain. Because I've seen it for myself. But they were a dead church. But he was standing at the door and knocking. I want you to notice that this knock is a potent knock. It's a very powerful knock. It's a knock that has great influence. He knocks with great power, and he knocks with great effect. Can I tell you, I remember when my heart door was knocked on, and it was a knock like I had never felt before in my life. It was a knock that had great influence. It was a knock of great power. It was a knock of great conviction. And there was no question in my mind or no question in my heart that who was knocking there was no doubt in my mind why he was knocking. And there was no question in my mind what he wanted me to do. And that was to surrender my will and pick his and take upon his will and surrender my life to him. There was no doubt what he wanted me to do. Because it was a powerful knock. And it was a potent knock. And it was a knock of great influence. And let me tell you that when I, when I opened the door, I realized what kind of an effect that knock had in my life. Can I tell you, I didn't even realize the effect that it would have in my life, Jim, when I opened the door and said, come on in, Lord. Come on in, Lord. I'm tired of playing games. I'm tired of the old facades. I'm tired of being a fake Christian. I'm tired of being false. I'm tired of playing a good part. And I opened the door and let him in. And can I tell you, it had an effect on me unlike anything I could even begin to describe to you. It had an effect on me that I can't even tell you about because it's too great and it's too wonderful. And I didn't even realize that God could change everything about a person until he changed everything about me. It was a powerful knock. But not only was it a potent knock, but it is a personal knock. It's a personal knock. Notice what he says. If any man hear my voice. That, that if any man tells me that the knock that God has is a very personal knock. It's a personal knock. And I thank God that it's a personal knock. I'm glad I got that knock. I'm glad that God knocked on my heart. And it wasn't just a collective knock, but it was a personal knock that I felt in my heart. Can I tell you, you might say, has God knocked on your heart since you've been saved? You better believe it. You better believe it. 
You might say, what's he knocked on your heart about? Because there's been areas in my life that I hadn't given to God. And he was knocking on my heart saying, I want you to give me this area. He's knocking on my heart saying, I want you to give me this thing in your heart. There was parts of my heart that I had not opened to him, Jim. And I tried to hide it. And I tried to hide it. And I tried to bury it. And I tried to keep it hid as much as I could. But I realized I could not hide it from an omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God. And he knew all about that part of my heart that, he, that I hadn't let him in yet. And he was knocking saying, Hunter, I want in. I want in. I want, I, I, I want this part of your life. He said, Hunter, I want this thing in your life. If you'll let me have it, I'll take it and I'll do something with it and I'll get rid of it. And, we, and, and I can abide that part of your heart. I can take control. Can I tell you the most recent knock that I felt was back when I told you in 2016 where I put God in a box and I thought God couldn't do what I thought he was doing down in Burlington and what he was doing. I didn't think God could do it and I thought it was just at, at first, I kind of thought, well, it's just, it's just a bunch of emotionalism. But you know what? When I went down there, I'll never forget that Tuesday night in that hotel room. I'll never forget it. I was in there by myself. Brother C.T. that night had preached on the pool of Bethesda about the waters being stirred. I'll never forget it. And I walked into that hotel room that night, and I sat down, and I was thinking about what he was preaching on. It was like God was doing this right here. Are you going to let me revive you or not? Here's what I want to do. I want to change your aspect of what church is supposed to be. I want to change your outlook on preaching. I want to change the way you view things. I don't want you to put me in a box no more. But I want to take control of that area because I've shown you what I can do. And I remember in that hotel room that night, he broke me down like a double barrel shotgun. And I said, Lord, you can have control. I said, Lord, here you go. I'm going to let you change it. Can I tell you? He changed it. When he knocked... He wants to change something. But you know what? If I hadn't let him in, I wouldn't experience God like I have since then. I would never believe that God could send revival had I not let him in that night and let him revive me. And can I tell you, he did a lasting work in this man's heart right here. He did something that I could not do and only he could do. It was a personal knock that came to me. And can I tell you that revival is a personal knock that comes to each and every one of you. But will we let him do it is the question. But lastly, not only was it a personal knock, but it could be the final knock. And that's what I've titled this message, The Last Knock. The Last Knock. And, and as I thought about this passage, I thought about a story of the Apostle Paul and King Agrippa. Paul went and he was arrested and put on trial. And he was preaching to King Agrippa. King Agrippa was listening to every word that came out of the Apostle Paul's mouth. 
He heard every word of it. And the Holy Ghost began working inside King Agrippa. And King Agrippa felt that knock. The Holy Ghost was knocking. I believe God broke Agrippa down. And he was dealing with him. And he was working on him. And Paul asked the very, the age, age, ageless question. He asked him, do you believe? And there was a warfare going on in King Agrippa. He had the devil pulling on this side. And he had the Holy Ghost pulling on this side. And it was his choice whether he was going to let go of the devil and let the Holy Spirit take control. Or if he's going to let go of the Holy Spirit and let the devil take over. And King Agrippa uttered these words. He said, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. You might say, why would he say that? Because there was something that was, he was holding on to that he just would not let go of. And as far as the Bible and history is concerned, King Agrippa was never mentioned again. Never. Not one time in the scripture do you ever find King Agrippa mentioned again. That was his only knock. That was King Agrippa's last knock. We don't know if somebody ever preached to him before, but we know Paul preached the gospel to him. And he heard the message. But little did he know that that time he said no would be the last time that the Holy Ghost would ever knock. It was the last time that he would ever knock. And I believe that King Agrippa, if, he, if you could ask him right now in hell, if he, would, if he could go back, he would do it over and say yes to Jesus when he knocked. It was his final knock. It was the last knock. I want to use an illustration. If the pianist would come real quick and begin to play. Brother Jim, if you would, come stand right here in front of this bench right here. I saw this illustration. I thought it was very powerful. This illustration goes as there's a little kid and he has a really close relationship with Jim and he, and he loves Jim. Thinks the world of Jim and he thinks Jim hung the, hung the moon. And he comes and he says to his dad, he says, Dad, I want to do something real special for Jim. I just think the world of him. I love him to death. And I, I want to do something real special in Jim's life. So the little boy begins working real hard. And he builds and creates this gift just specifically for Jim. It was not for anybody else, but Jim, it was made specifically for you. And he goes to his dad and says, Dad, I've got the gift complete. 
Can we go drive to Jim's house so I can give him this gift? And the dad says, absolutely, son, get in the car. And they drive to Jim's house. And the little boy is so excited because he's got this gift and he knows it's going to make Jim just so happy because he made it just for him. And the little boy jumps out of the car and he runs to the front door. And he knocks on the door. And he waits. And he waits. And he waits. But Jim never comes to the door. And the little boy heard footsteps in the house of Jim walking around inside. He says, Dad, I heard footsteps, but he's not coming to the door. And the dad says, not just a little bit harder, honey. Maybe he didn't hear you. And the little boy goes and he knocks a little bit harder. Nobody, he waits and he waits for Jim to come to the door. But little does he know that his dad looks and he sees Jim peeking out of his curtains. And he sees that it's that little boy that thinks the world of him. And he don't open the door. And the little boy runs back to the car and he's crying his eyes out saying, Daddy, I know Jim's in the house. I heard his footsteps. Why is he not answering the door, Daddy? So the dad goes to the door as well. And the dad knocks on the door for the third time. And Jim answers the door. And that little boy is so excited to see Jim. But Jim had a look on his face that he had never seen before. And he holds this gift out and he says, Jim, I made you this gift. I made it just for you, Jim. Will you take my gift? And Jim looks at that little boy. I know he'd never do this in real life. But Jim looks at that little boy. He says, I do not want what you have. I don't want that gift. I have no desire for that gift. And Jim slams the door in that little boy's face. And the little boy leaves brokenhearted. Because the person that he made that gift for just totally rejected it and said, I have no need for that gift. Thank you, Jim. Can I tell you that every time that he knocks and we don't answer, that's exactly what we're doing to the Lord. Exactly. Every time he knocks, he has a gift that is made spe specifically for you. A gift that's not going to harm you, but a gift that's going to help you in your life. For the child of God, when he knocks, he just wants to give you a little more grace and a little more mercy. And he wants to give you just a little bit more of his presence and just a little bit more of his power. But every time that we say, no, I don't want it, we slam the door in his face 
And he walks away, not wanting to harm us, but he wants to help us. If we're here lost, every time he knocks, and he holds his hands out, and he shows the nail prints in his hands, he said, I made this gift specifically for you. I'm getting ready to have a fit here just a minute. Y'all bear with me. He says, honey, I made this gift just for you. They drove the nails in my hands and in my feet and they pierced my side and I did it just for you. I made it specifically for you because I love you. But yet some people, brother, they have the audacity to tell God, they say, God, Jesus, I know that you did this for me. I know that you bled and I know that you died and I know that you suffered unlike any man had ever suffered for me, but I don't want what you have to give me. I don't want it. I'll do it the best way that I can. But you know, the sad reality is even though he offers his hands. We don't know how many times he's going to offer his hands out to us. It could be like Agrippa. And that be the last time that he opens his arms up. It could be. Can I tell you that we did not deserve the first knock that God ever knocked on our heart's door. We didn't deserve the first one. I didn't. Can I tell you, he knocked on my heart's door a lot, but I sure didn't deserve it. And I believe if I had not accepted Christ on June the 19th, 2006, that would have been the last chance God ever gave me to get saved. I believe that was it. If I messed it up, I would never have had another opportunity. But I thank God that he gave me the privilege of taking that nail-scarred hand and he walked me straight down to the altar. Said, honey, I ain't going to hurt you. I'm going to change your life. And I'm going to do for you something that you cannot even begin to imagine. What I'm going to do in your life. Is this the last knock? For the child of God, is this your last knock for revival? We don't know when Jesus is coming. We don't have a clue. As every head's bowed and every eye's closed, I'm closing. This may be the last chance we ever have to see a mighty, mighty move of God. This may be it. But my question is this. Are we going to let him in? Are we going to let him in? Because I'll tell you what he's doing in the Tri-Cities right now. He's knocking. But we have a choice of whether we open or whether we don't. I want to ask you a question this morning. 
Say, preacher, God's knocking on my heart's door. I know I'm saved. But God is dealing with me about something in my life that I just have got to give to Him. And He's knocking and I don't want to miss it. Can I see your hand? I will not embarrass you. All I want to do is pray for you. Say, preacher, that's me. God's knocking and I don't want to miss it. He's knocking on my heart's door about something. Maybe it's revival. Maybe it's, maybe it's a greater burden for somebody you know that's lost. But you know God's knocking and you don't want to miss it. Can I see your hand? Say, preacher, pray for me. God's knocking. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Anybody else say, preacher, pray for me. God's knocking and I don't want to miss it. Jesus is knocking and I don't want to miss it. Those of you that raised your hands, would you like to come this morning and pray? This altar's open and, and somebody would love to come and pray with you. Would you like to come? Who's going to be first to step out this morning and say, I've got to open the door and let him in. I'm not going to leave him on the outside looking in. I'm going to let him in. Now the most important question that's going to get asked. Is there anybody here that says, Preacher, God's knocking. I'm not saved. I'm not sure I'm saved. But I know one thing, that he's knocking. And I do not want to leave him on the outside. Can I tell you that if he's knocking on your heart's door, if you're lost, he does not want to hurt you, but he wants to save you. And he wants to change your life. I promise you, I won't embarrass you. Nobody's looking around except for me and God. Would you raise your hand and say, pray for me, preacher. I'm not sure that I'm saved. I have doubts in my mind. And Jesus is knocking. And I don't want to miss him. It's very dangerous saying no when he knocks. Anybody anywhere say, preacher, pray for me. Anybody at all. As we stand across the house and the brother sings one verse of invitation. Just one verse. I'm going to give you one opportunity to come. If nobody comes, we're going to go home. If he's knocking, I want you to come. If he's knocking, why don't you come? I'll pray with you. Anybody need to come? If he's knocking, why don't you come? Anybody need to come? God bless you, honey. Jimmy, you care to pray with her? Let me get some ladies right here to pray around this dear sister right here. Anybody else need to come say, Preacher, God's knocking and I don't want to miss him. I don't want to miss him. He's knocking and he wants to do something and I sure don't want to miss him. Anybody need to come? Christian, I want you to pray for this dear lady right now. I want you to pray for her.
Who else needs to come? God's moving. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Please don't miss what God's doing. Who else needs to come? I know God wants to move in your life. Who, who else needs to come? Who else needs to come this morning? Anybody else need to come? One more verse. Well, he's going to sing one more. If nobody else comes, we're going to go home. I believe God's moving. Don't miss it. Please don't miss it.